It's time now for super psychologist, Dr. Mara Carpell, and your golden years. Good evening, and welcome to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years. This evening and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. Central Time, and that's 6 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaracarpell.com, and also now on Apple Podcasts. And today is Sunday, September the 20th, 2020. I'm psychologist Dr. Mara Carpell, and I hope that you're all staying safe and comfortable while we keep you informed and entertained here. And Art Mendoza of Accomplice Entertainment, producer of this program, is here with us to make the show run smoothly as usual. And we have another great program in store for you. In a little while after the break, we'll be joined by Dr. D.M. Mooney, Navy veteran, organizational and industrial psychologist, executive coach, human capital consultant, and career counselor who has dedicated his life to facilitating professional growth. Additionally, he specializes in human-computer interaction, serving as a UX strategist for product teams to ensure human-centered development. Dr. Mooney joins us this evening to discuss overcoming adversity and obstacles to achieve success with some discussion of his own life challenges that he has turned into strengths. And I'm looking forward to speaking to Dr. Mooney about that. And I'll say a word or two about reconnecting to our passionate selves during this time of COVID and other recent events. Throughout this evening's program, we will have time to take your questions. So if you have any questions or comments for me or for my guest, please feel free to give a call. The toll-free number is 855-345-720. That's 855-345-4720. Or you can email your questions to me, and I will read them on the air to my guest. And my email address is drmara, that's D-R-M-A-R-A, at drmarakarpel.com, D-R-M-A-R-A-K-A-R-P-E-L.com. And you can hear this evening's program again by going to my website and the link to the podcast along with all of the contact links or website links that we talk about on the program will be posted later tonight. You can also hear the podcast is in as soon as five minutes after the show ends by going directly to blog talk radio. That's B L O G talk com slash your golden years. And you can also listen on Apple Podcasts five minutes after the show ends and forever. For information from previous programs, to listen to previous programs, uh, go to my website, drmaricarpel.com, and all of the shows for the last six and a half years are posted there. You can also go to blogtalkradio.com slash your golden years. And also, also Apple Podcasts is all of the programs since we've been on Blog Talk Radio. And be sure to follow me on Facebook, Dr. Mara Carpell, Your Golden Years, to find out all the latest information and upcoming in show information, upcoming events, and anytime my podcast, uh, my blog posts. 
This show is produced by Accomplice Entertainment, Postal Productions, and Psyched Up Productions. And we're going to take a brief break. Don't go anywhere. Um, it'll be a very brief break. And when we come back, we'll be joined by Dr. D.M. Mooney, Navy veteran and organizational industrial psychologist, to talk about overcoming adver- adversity and achieving success. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Super psychologist Dr. Mara Carpell will be back after words from our sponsors. Worried about memory loss? Dr. Ronald DeVere, certified neurologist and director of Alzheimer's disease and memory disorders in Lakeway, has been helping those with dementia and memory loss for over 12 years, specializing in the diagnosis, treatment, and counseling of those with memory loss and dementia. Dr. DeVere also has a book to reduce your worry and fear by knowing the fact. Memory loss, everything you want to know but forget to ask. Available now on Amazon.com. Dr. Ronald DeVere, Alzheimer's disease and memory disorders center in Lakeway, and his book, Memory Loss, everything you want to know but forget to ask. For more information or to schedule an appointment, call 512-261-7909. Are you or a loved one a Medicare beneficiary? Help save you and Medicare money by stopping Medicare fraud. Fraud happens when Medicare is billed for services or supplies you never receive. There are three easy things you can do to fight fraud. Review your Medicare claims for accuracy, protect your personal information, and be on the lookout for suspicious activity. For more information or to report fraud, call Medicare at 1-800-MEDICARE or your local SHIP counselor at the Area Agency on Aging at 1-800-252-9240. Dr. Mara's book, The Passionate Life, Creating Vitality and Joy at Any Age, is now available on Kindle and in paperback at Amazon. Don't forget to listen to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years live from Austin, Texas, every Sunday on blogtalkradio.com. This is a 
Brothers of the sun, to children of the moon at night, one sees the stars, one hears the bird in flight, like the beauties in the sea, they live their lives in harmony, one sees the way. And one hears the song it brings. And Micah's out to play. And Nathan's here to stay a while. And don't go so far away. He's right behind. Watch him, here he comes. Please visit us on the web at www.drmaricarpel.com. All right, and we are back. Hell in your golden years, and we were just waiting for our guests to call in. Um, and we are joined right now on the phone by Dr. D.M. Mooney, Navy veteran, organizational industrial psychologist, executive coach, and a lot more. <laughs> and he's joining us this evening to discuss overcoming adversity and achieving success. Welcome, Dr. Mooney. Good afternoon. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you for joining us. I'm really excited to have you on the program. Um, I'm I I just want to let you know when we speak like this, there's a slight delay, like about two seconds. So it's good to keep that in mind. Um, so, you know, uh, maybe you can tell our listeners a little bit about your background before we jump into our discussion. Sure. I think you did a great job at kind of summarizing a little bit about me. But um, I am, like you said, an IO psychologist. I'm specialized in human and computer interaction, so I do a lot of work with um, website design, um, interacting or any kind of technology with humans having to interact with a system or tool, a lot of times in the workplace. Um, I well, did serve in the Navy, got my start serving um, in Intel in the military. I did a lot of traveling all around the world doing my job, um, ended up being an independent consultant 
um, very entrepreneurial spirit type of person. So um, I have worked with a lot of different companies and a lot of different industries from technology to healthcare, government, um, helping with business solutions, um, always putting the um, person, the employee, the job seeker, um, leader first to make sure that we have solutions and processes that uh, meet their needs. Um, and like you mentioned before, I do a lot of coaching for professional professionals helping to um, advance in their careers or, you know, um, transition to a new career, all the different things. Yeah, and, um, and I saw that you have a Ph.D. in organizational psychology and also a degree in computers. Um, yes, computer And we science. both went to the same we both went to the same school for that. I get we went to Syracuse University. Oh, that's awesome. So, cool. Yeah, go <laughs> orange. <laughs> so, um, so what led you to do both, to do the computer work and the organizational psychology? Sure. So when I graduated high school, actually, um, I saw to be a computer engineer, um, kind of like the obvious choice, like, okay, I'm going to be an engineer. Well, what kind? You know, computers just seem to make the most sense. Um, so I did it, and I hated it. I did not like the program whatsoever. Um, granted, I was only 15 at the time when I first went to college, but I just really didn't like it. So I joined the military, hoping to find another role, you know, some kind of job and get some experience. However, they put me in Intel because of my expertise and my scores, so I ended up having uh-huh. to stick with it. <laughs> um, but in that role, I was actually a business analyst where I was more focused on people than necessarily the development side of things. So I was like my liaison. I wrote requirements to help um, the systems be improved based off of like policies and, and business needs. From there, I was actually introduced to user experience, um, where they even go even further in um, psychology, where they really understand the end user of the tool. Um, and from there, so I was like, okay, well, I love, you know, I do actually enjoy computer science. I enjoy, you know, developing technologies to meet people's needs but I also want to focus more on people than just the technology itself, just not the colors and the design. Um, so I decided to mix my background in computer science and psychology, which is why I'm this hybrid IO, organizational development, UX professional now. Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I, the way that we met, was on LinkedIn and I had seen your post on LinkedIn. I was, I was really touched by it. Um, you had posted your picture and um, you know, you're standing there in a t-shirt with your tattoos and all mm-hmm. of your diplomas behind you. And, and, um, and you pose the question, does this look like a psychologist? And yeah. um my first reaction was, well, of course, because you are a psychologist and that's what you look like. So it does look like a psychologist. I was really surprised by how that sort of blew up and so many people responded both positively yeah. and I was mostly surprised with the negative, like, no, you don't. Yeah. And it, yeah. it it made me wonder, you know, maybe people have a preconceived notion uh, the psychologist looking like an Austrian in a suit with spectacles and a goatee. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> but that's like 1920, and this is 2020. Yeah, exactly. So, yes. <laughs> um, so it was brave of you to challenge those stereotypes. And um, so maybe we'll talk about that before we jump into some of the other challenges that you have, mm-hmm. you know, that you've made. 
Um, what was what was your reaction to that to the responses? Were you surprised? Um, well, I didn't expect it to get as far as it reaches it did. You know, I I see my post and you know it gets some attention, but that garnished significantly more than I was expecting. So that was definitely a surprise to get so much of um, feedback on that post. Um, as far as getting the mixed reviews, um, I guess I was expecting that. You know, with a lot of people being simply being honest, you know, I know that I don't look like a traditional psychologist. I'm aware that most people would never say right now. I could say, "What does psychologist look like?" They would never describe someone who looks anything like me, like even close to it. Um, so I knew that. So basically, I was hoping to be more thought provoking, not so that they would say it looks like you, you know, because honestly, based off of what people have as far as their preconceived notion of what psychologist looks like, it would never technically be me as of right now. Um, what I was going for was to represent another uh, another um, view of what a psychologist could look like and to really question some of our um, our mental shortcuts in saying, well, this if you're this career, you have to look like this. Um, if you do this, I have, you know, you have to do look like this. Or your level of education, you look like this, you know. Um, and so when I was looking at, the, looking at the feedback, you know, seeing people saying, oh, you know, it looks like you, and, you know, thank you for representation, that's great. But then even seeing the negative feedback, we're like, no, you know, you don't look like one, and you should not have visible tattoos if you want to reach your, you know, reach your base. And you should not have, you know, dreadlocks, or you shouldn't, you know, have, you know, ear gauges. You know, hearing that feedback telling me, like, I won't be able to reach certain types of people if I look this certain way. Um, that mm-hmm. needs to be expected as well because they, everyone has their ideas about what you should look like in order to reach them. So basically, when they do that to me, they're they're basically deflecting and saying, "If you, you, I don't feel comfortable talking to you, you know, and that's okay. It's right. okay that I right. don't so you, look the part for everyone." Right. So I guess you you were purposely posting it sort of as part of your whole um, career to help people to look at yeah, their just, own exactly. life and passions and not be stuck mm-hmm. in a in a mold. Did anybody, because yes. I didn't really look at all the comments, there were quite a few, did yes. anybody comment on the color of your skin? Um, so, well, actually, so I found that people of color, you know, mostly did. They're basically saying thank you for representing, you know, representation. I got a lot of comments saying that, you know, they showed their kids saying, look, you know, you can do it too. This is an example mm. of someone who looks like you who did do it. So I noticed that that was something I got a lot of comments in my DMs revolving around you know, look, you know, thank you for doing this because my, you know, my son really wants to be a psychologist and he has dreadlocks actually right now and, you know, he was afraid he needed to cut his hair, so thank you for showing that. Or thank you for showing mm-hmm. that, you know, black men can be in this field with a very small percentage of us and I appreciate you, you know, showing that. It was more of like, mm-hmm. thank you, you know, as far as that. But I did not get any backlash, I wouldn't say, as far as other people saying, because you color your skin, you can't do it, you know, or you can't be a psychologist. Right. That was okay. great. Well, so that's, that's good to know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, you know, in the in the comments you had mentioned, and then you told me um, that you also are autistic savant. I am, yes. So, can you explain what that means? Because I think most people have a certain idea of that of what that is. Sure. That might be wrong as well. Of course, sure. Um, so, yeah, so um, first, they are two separate conditions. Um, to be autistic does not mean that you're a savant, and to be a savant doesn't mean you're autistic. Um, so a lot of people, when they think of um, aut- autism in general, they think of movies, you know, like I think Rain Man comes to mind and things like that where, you know, you know, you have all these powers and, you know, you can just do everything and like, process everything very quickly and all that kind of stuff. Um, it looks different for different people because even with this, it is a spectrum. 
Um, so I can basically describe my experience with it, but it may look different for someone else. So it's always really important to note that with this particular cognitive disorder. Mm-hmm. So with mm-hmm. so for me, um, my with me being autistic, um, I definitely have um, complications with communication um, and a lot of social interactions with others. I have definitely um, sensory issues where they be very sensitive to loud noises, bright lights, um, any um, touch, you know, different textures. Even eating something, you know, with a texture can bother me and agitate me um, and can throw me off where I lose focus. Um, and with my savantism, savantism generally is basically described as like a, you have an island of genius of some, you know, some caliber, some caliber. For me, I can process information very quickly and I'm able to then apply it. Um, so for me, uh, musically, I learned, I learned how to play piano at five. I just, just knew how to play. It was really kind of a passive learner in that way. Um, I also can draw very well. Um, basically, uh-huh. I don't create. I can just, like, draw what I see very, very well. And, you know, it just, you know, can mimic things like that. Um, and then with my wow. ability to recall and recall information. So, basically, I, that's why I actually am such a good strategist because I take all information in from all these different sources and all these different business owners and users and everything. And then I can spit it back out and recall it in a way, though, that's very structured in a strategy or strategic um, approach. So, that's essentially how my autistic savantism um, looks. Uh-huh. Wow. So um, I, how, you know, I, how does it, how is it a challenge? I mean, because the savantism sure. sounds certainly like it's not very challenging. Um, to sure. the rest of us, it sounds like, wow, we, would try, <laughs> we could do that. <laughs> sure. Oh, but yeah, there, there definitely are challenges. So I get that quite often. It's like, well, again, like it's a situ- it's an associated like superpower. Like, oh, well, you're, you know, you can do these different things, and you're such a value to my company, or you value to me because you can do these. Um, but it's basically essentially though, like uh, description is like thinking about a computer that's overworked. You know, like I still have the same amount of like memory and RAM as you. I'm just working a lot harder, so then I can burn out very quickly, or I can become agitated, or again, sensory issues where. I'm working at such a high level. My brain is processing so much information so quickly that the slightest thing can completely derail me, um, especially with social interactions. I process those as much as I process numbers, you know, so I, over, I can overanalyze and overplan, and if I'm 10 steps ahead of everything, it can make it not as authentic or organic when I'm interacting with people, makes me less interested. Um, you know, definitely get bored <laughs> very quickly um, doing normal things, um, and I'm not constantly uh-huh. challenged. Um, I can have, um, again, attention problems. So it can, and another thing too with my communication, when I'm always processing things and thinking of things so very quickly, it can come out in a stutter. It can come out with me speaking very, very quickly, which you are probably doing right now. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And I I get nonverbal. So I can get to a point where I hit like overload and I won't talk for very long periods of time. It's actually how they realized I was autistic for the first place. I was very nonverbal as a kid. Um, for like weeks on end, and so basically, again, I have very strong and hard limitations when it comes to things like that. Hmm. Okay. Okay. So, so how did you turn? I guess um, there are two parts to it. One would be how do you compensate for some of that, or or find mm-hmm. relief from some of that overstimulation, and then also how did you turn this? into a strength rather than being something that could be a, an obstacle for you? Um, I would say that for me personally, um, I had to just consider, like just actually sit down and like, okay, um, these are my limitations. You know, first is identifying them. 
and fully accepting that these are your limitations, you know, to a certain degree. Social social interactions with, you know, um, with considering some of the limitations of the sensory. And then I thought about some of my goals. So like, okay, so one of my goals was I wanted to be a psychologist. You know, I knew early on I really wanted to be a psychologist in my career. So I was like, well, with these limitations that may make it challenging for me to be a psychologist, I need to constantly interact with people. I need to constantly, you know, have show empathy, which can be hard for me. Sometimes my emotional intelligence is not where it should be um, because of my understanding of social interactions. Um, so I thought about all of my limitations and how they would be roadblockers for my goals that I set for myself. And then I thought of how to figure out ways and strategies of how could I work around them or get over these things. Like, what do I need to do? What do I need to learn? Um, what skills do I need to have in order for me to still achieve my goals? And so with that, mm-hmm. um, I started working a lot with this behavior analyst. So I had it when I was a kid, but I was like, okay, I need to go back to a behavior analyst and start working through these things. Um, first things I started working on would, again, be my emotional recognition um, so I could better understand that I'm engaging with someone. Maybe saying something so bluntly or communicating so black and white isn't the best in certain situations. Um, understanding, um, you know, basically um, how is it more appropriate, to, you know, to, to communicate certain things. How do I know my triggers? So before I get to the point of being nonverbal or where I get to burnout, how do I understand to stop at this point, you know, because no one can tell me, no one around me knows it. I have to understand it for myself. Um, and even still with the environment or with the sensory issues, I realized I'm not going to be able to work in offices, like that I was not conducive for me at all. So I had to model all of my services around remote work long before COVID. I've been doing remote work mm. um, since 2014 where I had to say, okay, I need to start finding tools that I can use. You know, I need to start figuring out ways of presenting information to people. How do I sell myself and market myself even though I can't be in person with them? I can't shake hands. You know, I can't do these things, um, but I still need to show them that I can do this. So I had to figure out a whole business model and framework around my limitations of not being able to interact socially on a regular basis. Um, so basically and now, I need to really sit down now and figure you're, it out. Now you're, you're – you're way ahead of us now, all having to figure <laughs> that, that out. Yeah, exactly. And now I get yeah, now I get a lot of calls for helping um, basically build remote teams. That's a lot of my projects now are building remote teams. <laughs> so it's funny how that works really? out. <laughs> right. Wow. When people come to you for coaching, the the some of the that sort of advice come in where they're they have challenges and they don't know how to move ahead towards some of their dreams and their goals because of their challenges and sort of helping them to yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. So essentially with coaching, I would say for professional coaching, so I work a lot with entrepreneurs and um, people who are transitioning from one career to another. So either like college students transitioning to a career or someone who was in a different industry switching over. And um, I found from my experience doing it a lot of times it's, there's two major issues here. It's like confidence, where they have challenges and they think that these challenges are blockers, that they cannot overcome them, and then managing their um, priorities and time. So basically you have resources. You have, you know, money. You have a certain amount of money. You have a certain amount of time. You have a certain amount of, you know, tools, whatever, and, and them figuring out how to utilize that to achieve their goal. Um, because, again, if you, don't think, if you feel like you don't have enough, it is a challenge for you. Like, I wish I had more money. I wish I had more time. I wish I had fancier equipment. I wish I had more employees, you know. Um, so basically turning those challenges, identifying those challenges, identifying, um, that, but first, before you even talk about challenges, thinking about where are you right now? And then where do you want to be, you know? And then the challenges of course play a role in that. But if you don't fully understand where you are right now and you can't identify and admit where you are right now, and then you can't clearly define. So anyone who ever asks you, you know, uh, you know, no matter what context, tell them where you want to be. That's really where I provide the most detail as far as being able to map that out. 
um, whether it be services you want to provide, whether it be um, places you want to go, you know, industries you want to work for, and then taking those challenges and considering how that can impact your goal. But we don't want to harp on that, you know. It's never really good to just simply evolve everything around challenges. It's simply mm-hmm. identifying your goal and where you want to be. Okay. All right. That's a good tip. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, because, uh, you know, I hear a lot of people say, well, this is what I want to do, but I can't do that because of this. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, so, you know, how do you get past that? And, and to um, think about it, it's easier to figure that out, though, if you have that again. Because basically you're essentially just filling in the gap from if you know where you are right now. That could include some challenges. I could say, you know, I'm dealing with this and this and this and you clearly define where you want to be, then to be honest, it can be easy. It's easier to see the path, to, you know, a straight line path to figure out how to get there. But a lot of times people only see where they are right now and their challenges and never anything else. And that's a lot of times what you have to overcome in order to really achieve your goal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like, you know, based on your experience that sometimes it takes some extra um, coaching or extra um, mm-hmm. help with getting, you know, figuring out how to get over some of those obstacles that seem like, uh, you know, like boulders or walls. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mm-hmm. It's never, yeah. So basically I, what I always kind of tell them is getting, defining your vision and your goal, that is, something that's you, you know, like you have to define it for yourself because if you let other people start defining it for you, they can sway you every direction, right? So that's something that you want to do for yourself. So like, for example, with me, when I said that, you know, the challenges I faced and, but my, I mean, it was my autism and my savantism and all that, but my goal was I wanted to be a psychologist. That was something I defined for myself. I wanted to be this type of psychologist. I wanted to have my PhD by the age of 26, like, and I wanted to achieve this amount of success, right? I defined that for myself. Then after that, after I said this is where I am right now is, you know, I'm in the military, I don't have experience in psychology yet, et cetera, et cetera. I then, once I identify these two areas, I'm like, okay, in order to achieve my goal, these are my challenges. So I'm going to bring in a behavior analyst to help me with it, to help me use it. So now that person serves as a resource. Mm-hmm. They're not guiding me to me as far as my vision and my goal. They're, they're, they're meeting, um, you as a resource to help me with these particular challenges. You know? Right. So that's what is important. And you can't, no one's going to be able to, take care of you and get your goals for you. You have to make sure that you still maintain that and that everybody else that you're utilizing to do that is a resource to get you there. Right. Okay. That's good advice. And boy, you must be way ahead if you've got your PhD at 26. (laughs) (laughs) Congratulations for that. (laughs) Thank you. Appreciate it. (laughs) Just set Um, a goal and, you know, like I said, set a goal. Yeah, boy. That's great. <laughs> um, so, so what? Who would be your your clients? Who who might be interested in contacting you for some coaching advice? Sure. Um, so again, a lot of times I um, work with um, anyone who's like an entrepreneur who's looking to start a new business or has a new business, a startup company, or an idea. You know, a lot of times I work with people who simply like, I have this idea and I'm trying to figure out what the next steps are. You know, um, I work with, again, a lot of people who are, you know, trying to just um, grow in their career. So if you're like, you know, I've been in this career for a while and I feel stagnant, um, I just want to figure out how do I grow professionally. Um, I do a lot of work with them. 
Um, if you want to simply transition careers, like, you know, like I don't like this field that I'm in. I don't like this role that I'm in. I've been doing it for, you know, five years, ten years, and I, I, my passion is to do this. You know, if you want to completely change mm-hmm. careers, I work with a lot of individuals who do that as well. And, again, college students who are looking to enter a field and say, you know, I've been in school for this long, and now I would like to, you know, get started in my career. Um, I work a lot with, with those as well, especially okay. in the military. A lot of times I, I volunteer and do um, pro bono for, for transition in the military just as a way to – and I give back to my own community. Oh, that's great. Okay. That's good to know because I work with veterans who some are transitioning. So, yeah. So if people are interested in contacting you or finding out more about the services you provide, what's the best way that they can do that? Sure. Um, Well, on my LinkedIn, I'm very active as of recently. (laughs) So finding out more about me, um, it would be easy uh-huh. to do that. I actually have a link to my website on, on my LinkedIn as well. Um, or going directly to my website, do you have a website? It's uh, www.carpenoctumcoaching.com. And there's information there okay. as far as reaching out to me or doing a consult. Okay. Okay. And I will be um, posting that on my website post about this show so people can – Go to my website later, and it'll be there. They can just click on it. Um, and your LinkedIn page that has everything, including the website, that would just be your name? Just my name is Diamuni. Mooney. Um, I think I'm the only one, if I remember correctly. But it's Diamuni Mooney as a um, comma PhD. Okay. Okay. So I'll be posting both of those on my website posts. So, Thank you so much for, for being on the program. I'm really, you know, I, I found this really interesting, and I was really happy that you were willing to come on the, on the show after I met you on LinkedIn. <laughs> so <laughs> let's stay in touch because I would love to of course, of course. have you come back sometime. Sounds great. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Well, you have a good evening, okay? Thank you. You as well. Uh, okay. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye-bye. All right, we'll be right back. We have more to come, so don't go anywhere. Dr. Mara's book, The Passionate Life, Creating Vitality and Joy at Any Age, is now available on Kindle and in paperback at Amazon. Don't forget to listen to Dr. Mara Carpell and your golden years live from Austin, Texas, every Sunday on blogtalkradio.com. Please visit us on the web at www.drmaricarpel.com. All right, and we are back. If you're just joining us, this is Dr. Mara Carpel and your golden years right here on blogtalkradio.com and on drmaricarpel.com. And um, as I said, I will be posting dr mooney's information on my website post about this show later tonight and if you're interested in looking him up right now um you can go to linkedin and his website is there as well and linkedin it's his name which is d-i-e-m-m-o-o-n-e-y so just go to his linkedin page and his website will be there but later tonight i'll have everything on my page All right, so I just wanted to talk for a little bit. Uh, I've been talking a lot recently about reconnecting to your passion during this time of COVID. 
And I, you know, there are some events that occurred recently that I thought would be important to discuss and, and in that light. Um, two things, two events, were the passing of Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg um, just two days ago. And today being the fifth anniversary of my father's passing. Um, so, you know, I, I learned recently that when we say, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg um, was Jewish and there's a Jewish saying when somebody passes, may their memory be for a blessing. And I never really understood what that meant. I always just meant that you felt good when you remembered that person. And um, yesterday I found a post that actually explained that that's not what it means. Yes, you, of course, you want to feel good when you remember the person. But it actually means it's actually an action-oriented prayer. That means that when you think of that person, when you have memory of that person, that you behave in the world in ways that memorialize that person, that would make them proud, that you would do things in the world the way that you think that that person would want to have them done. So in a way, when you are blessing the world, so it's for a blessing, um, with their memory, that person who you are memorializing is living on because you're continuing the good actions that they took in their life and that they, you are continuing to take those actions. So in a way, you become a better person when your, their memory is for a blessing. So I wanted to talk first about my dad who passed away five years ago today. And I was thinking about that, that wish, that, that blessing um, in terms of my dad. And I realized that you know, I've been doing that, and I know my brothers have and my mom ever since my father passed away, that we, we consider what would dad do in this situation because we think because the way that I always thought of my dad was that he really frequently, of course he wasn't perfect, nobody is a saint, but he frequently took the right path. He was like the moral compass. Um, growing up, both of my parents have been. Um, but right now I'm talking about my dad so because it's his passing. And so, um, you know, I, I used to tell my dad that he was ethical to a fault, um, meaning that he would not stray off of the path of doing the right thing. He wouldn't bend rules in order to make himself more comfortable or even allow us, I guess the fault part was that he wouldn't allow us to do it, the, the, you know, myself and my brothers, that we had to kind of stick to what was right, um, especially if, if someone else would end up paying the price 
for doing the wrong, if we did the wrong thing. Um, and it was even the most minute thing. I remember when I was a kid, you know, I think I was probably like eight years old. I, I stole a five cent um, ring, like a little plastic ring. Um, but I had a guilty conscience, so I told my parents. And my father made me go back and return it. And, um, you know, I thought, wow, it was just a five cent ring. But that was, that was, you know, that was what he was teaching us, that you just don't do that. And um, so going out into the world, um, he, you know, my dad always um, took care of other people. Um, he always, he fought, he signed up and fought in World War II um, because he felt that, you know, the world was in danger and we were, the United States was in danger of having fascism land on our shores. And so he, he signed up like a lot of people did back then. Um, you know, many of people, my friends and loved ones in my life have parent, had, uh, parents or parents. I have one friend who's both parents were in World War II, mother and father, um, and then when he came back, he continued to fight for uh, people's rights. Um, he was very outspoken and, and very active in, in always helping the underdog. That's what he always said. I am for the underdog. And, then, and that he carried that even to watching sports. He would watch uh, sports team and he would cheer for the losing team or the one that had been losing up until that point that that would be their winning break and he would say I'm always for the underdog and he taught us that that you you know that we need to speak out for people who um, don't necessarily have a voice that don't have as much power in the world and as you can see from the you know a lot of the topics that we discuss on the show and a lot of the guests and the topics that they bring to the show is that we've you know that I'm very interested in helping those who have a voice that don't have a platform to give them a platform to speak on or or to have somebody speak for them on this platform um so just a you know a little bit more in the memory of um, my dad, you know, he taught me, um, he always talked about how he was living on borrowed time ever since he was in World War II because there had been several near misses while he served in the military. He was, um, he was um, stationed in the South Pacific for most of the time except for when he was sent off to school um, both back in the United States or abroad. Um, and several times when he was sent away and he would to the South Pacific, he would find out that his unit had been wiped out or several people had been injured. So he always felt like, you know, he was, he was always very lucky and he was living on borrowed time. So, he wasn't afraid to say how he felt and to, and to um, do the things that he thought were important because he knew that this, you know, he was given this extra time to do that. And um, 
he was, as I wrote in a blog last year, he was not afraid to live um, his purpose out loud. And those who knew him would certainly agree that he did that. Um, And he always used to say to me, you know, what is it that you really, really want to do? If you let your imagination run wild, what would you like to do? And, um, you know, he really taught me to allow my imagination to run wild and to follow those dreams, to have a backup plan, um, to not do, to not jump off a cliff without a parachute. But he supported me in following my dream and, and as long, and especially if my dream can, had within it that I was helping other people. So that was something that was really important to to him. And that sort of, you know, in thinking about my passion, very often people ask me, what what makes something a passion? What, when you advise people on finding their passion, what does passion consist of? And this has sort of evolved. I used to talk about, you know, find something that you really love to do that really makes you feel on fire. But now I've added to it. It's evolved as I speak about it because I've realized that this is really um, how I have always felt about it, that it's not just something. It's not only something that you love to do and that really lights you up when you do it but that when you do it, you know that it has a greater purpose in this world, that you're helping other people when you do it. And that could be even things like in the arts, when you're, if you're painting or drawing, dancing, playing music, singing, that if you're doing that with the idea that you're going to bring it out to the world and you're going to entertain people and bring joy into their life and bring healing into their life because, you know, music and art is very healing for people, not just the doer, but the person who's listening or watching. Um, when you have that purpose, then then on those days when you don't necessarily feel like doing it you know you're just tired that you out of bed that purpose is what motivates you to do it because it's a it's bigger than you so passion is something that's bigger than you and I and I think that I learned that um, from my dad and I feel like when I'm doing that and when I'm living that way I really am um, living his memory for a blessing And um, I want to mention the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg because actually it was a post about her where I read about that saying, um, may may their memory be for a blessing. Um, Whether or not you agree with her, you know, her uh, stance on various um, uh, judgments that she had to make as a Supreme Court justice, you have to agree that this was a woman who really did a lot of great things. You might not have agreed with everything that she did, but she fought for 
the equality of women in every sphere of life. She fought for the equality of um, people from, who, who love people of their own gender. She, she has always been at the forefront of, of helping the underdog, the people who have not had the right um, that, that everybody else has enjoyed. Um, so as a woman, um, I read a, a, a post by, by a woman describing how she felt about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and I really um, felt that this was something that I agree with. So I'm going to read what she wrote. She wrote, because of her, when I turned 18, I could apply for and receive a credit card without a male signatory. Because of her, when I bought my house, I could apply for a mortgage without being married and without having a male co-sign. Because of her, I could be called to do my civic duty and serve on a jury without being exempted on account of being a woman. Because of her, I grew up believing I had a claim to my personhood as an equally vested citizen of my country. These changes happened in my lifetime, and yet my whole growing up so deeply affected by her efforts, I never knew it was because of her and the countless clerks and lawyers she worked with arguing six of the most critical cases affecting women and families the Supreme Court had yet heard. She changed this country for women, for everyone, because women's rights are human rights. Because of her, I realized my own potential as a professional, a homeowner, a person with credit, with assets, with independence. My thanks to this woman are inexpressible. No matter where you begin, where you land is still potentially unknown. This devotion of hers to equality, not just to being equal, but to the concept of equality as a dynamic and not a fixed standard, made her one of the most consequential legal and cultural minds of the 20th and 21st centuries. And I could have written that because that's exactly my life. I wouldn't be here talking to you on my own radio program where I own my own business, I own my own house, I have my own credit. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Ruth Bader Ginsburg. So I think that we have a lot to thank her for. And again, may her memory be a blessing, be for a blessing. So let's, let's go out into the world and live with that mindset of doing things for those who don't have a voice, for working really hard. She worked until her last breath. She was signing, um, you know, her, her, her work. She was signing off on judgments that she made from her hospital bed. And this has been going, this went on for about two years while she was in and out of the hospital. So she really was dedicated and she could have retired a few years ago and chose not to because she wanted to keep contributing and making sure to protect the people that she knew needed protection. 
So on that note, um, I'm going to end that discussion there, and I'm going to let you know what's coming up next week. So next Sunday, September 27th, we'll be back with another show live from here in Austin, Texas, and we'll be joined from down under in Melbourne, Australia, by Dr. Um, uh, Kylie Harrison. I want to make sure I had her last name correct. So (laughs) Dr. Harris is a research psychologist, a writer, and an activist. And her work is focused upon spiritual emergency and how the experience may appear similar to mental illness, including psychosis, depression, anxiety, and PTSD. And she's also working collaboratively with academics, media media politicians, climate activists, and indigenous Australians to help society understand and navigate the current global emergency. So she'll talk about how spiritual emergency and global emergency interact at this moment in time. And then we'll get to hear from the twins, Minerva and Ruben Kerr, who are in Mexico, to tell us more about the beautiful places to visit in Mexico. And more, we always have more. And if you want to hear tonight's program again and read the information from this show and get the website links and, um, and all of that, go to my website, drmarakarpel.com, D-R-M-A-R-A-K-A-R-P-E-L.com. And you can also hear this evening's program in as soon as five minutes from now by going directly to blog talk radio, B-L-O-G talk radio.com slash your golden years. And you can also listen on Apple Podcasts in five minutes. And be sure to follow me on Facebook, Your Golden Years, to find out what's coming up next and any new events and happenings. This show was produced by Accomplice Entertainment, Postal Productions, and Psyched Up Productions. And special thanks to my guest, Dr. D.M. Mooney. And of course, thank you to Art. And thank you all for listening. Have a peaceful night and inspiring week. And remember, youth has no age. Good night, everyone. Stay safe.
Any guidance offered by Dr. Carpell is not intended to replace the advice of your own physician or mental health specialist. Neither Dr. Carpell, her sponsors, nor this station assumes responsibility for the misuse of any of the information given on this show. 